We're going to be tonight once again in the book of 1 John and chapter 3. So if you take your Bibles and turn there tonight, 1 John chapter 3. Now, I'm going to preface this message by saying the passage of Scripture that we are looking at here tonight, I believe has been often misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied, and sometimes just brushed over because of misunderstandings. There are certain places in Scripture that you read, and it's just very um, simple and clear, and there's no question about it. And then there are other places that you read, and if you're honest like me, you have to sometimes scratch your head and go, what exactly is he talking about here? What exactly does that mean, and how does it apply? And I think uh, tonight, as we look at this passage, this is going to be one of those uh, passages that kind of causes you to kind of uh, do that look. You know, sometimes you, you ever been maybe playing with a dog or a little puppy, and all of a sudden they'll just kind of look at you and cock their head like they're just not really sure. What? what? That's kind of, I, sometimes I, I've, I've read this and kind of just cocked my head a little bit. Am I missing something here? And so we're going to read this, and I'm going to say some things that... I don't want any kind of just sound bites clipped out of here, okay? Because I don't want to be misunderstood or misquoted, all right? But I think if you will follow my train of thought through this passage of Scripture, I'm pretty sure that we're all going to come to the same conclusion, all right? So, with that being said, 1 John chapter 3, let's stand together. We're going to start in verse number 1. We, uh, we read and, and looked at the first three verses of this last time we were in 1 John 3, but I want to read it again for context. Um, verse number 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Now, what we looked at in that passage is that God's people and the world are different, Right? The world's not going to understand us. If we are really in Christ and he's living through us, we're going to be different than the world. They don't know us. So verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin, transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Here's where it gets complicated. Verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Speaking of Christ. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, 
neither he that loveth not his brother. You can be seated. The title of the message tonight is this. Christians don't sin. I told you I don't want sound bites. All right? But I want you to look at a few verses in here and just be honest about this. Have you ever read this and, and just kind of scratched your head a little bit and said, what exactly does that mean? Look at verse number 9, for instance. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. I mean, that's a pretty clear statement. It's pretty direct, and it seems to say that it's impossible for a Christian to sin. That's what it seems to say, just on the surface. However, if that is the case, you and I are in big trouble. Would you agree with that? Now, if you went back to chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible even says here, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So either we have a contradiction here, or we have something that we need to dig into a little bit deeper. My attempt tonight is going to be to dig into this a little bit deeper, and I'll admit from the outset that we're going to kind of get down in the weeds for a minute, uh, but, I, but I think it'll, it'll help put the pieces together, and then we'll bring it all to a conclusion and application, okay? And so I want to go back to chapter number 3 and look at verse number 4, which is really kind of where we left off in this passage of Scripture. Verse number 4 makes this statement, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So right at the outset of this passage, we have a definition of sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. Uh, the word sin literally means, I'm sure you've heard this before, it means to miss the mark. It means to go out of the way. And, and sin is the transgression of the law. That is a very basic, simple definition of sin. Now, hold your place here, and I want to go back to the book of Leviticus, and chapter number 5. And I want you to notice something here in Leviticus. If, if you've read through Leviticus and actually read every word rather than just skimming it, you'll, you'll find there are many details. I mean, Leviticus is a book of details, isn't it? it, it it's all about the laws that God had for his people and the details of those laws. I mean, this isn't just the Ten Commandments. Uh, the, the, the book of Leviticus deals with cleansing, how people are, 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 are to keep themselves, their, their physical bodies clean, food that they're to eat, uh, where they're supposed to live and how they're supposed to care for their houses and, and, and all of the offerings and all of the sacrifices and, and really every little detail that God wanted his people to know are found here on the pages uh, of this book, the, 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 the laws that the Israelites were to live by. And I want you to notice in verse number, chapter 5, in verse number 1, Leviticus 5, 1, it says, And if a soul sin, and hear the voice of swearing, and is a witness, whether he hath seen it or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. Listen to this. Or if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast, or a carcass of unclean cattle, or the carcass of un unclean creeping things. And listen to this. And if it be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touch the uncleanness of a man, of man whatsoever uncleanness it be, 
that a man shall be defiled with all, and it shall be hid from him. When he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty. Look down to verse number 5. And it shall be, when he shall be guilty in one of these things, that he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing, and shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin which he hath sinned. And it goes on to describe what that offering is. So here you have a situation where a man becomes unclean by virtue, in some cases, of things that he that happened upon him unintentionally and things in which he maybe even was unaware. So this guy, let's just say he, uh, notice it says that if he touched the uncleanness of a man, one of the, the, the things that happened in, within the book of Leviticus is that God said that a man was unclean if he had some kind of a wound or a, or a sore that was oozing some kind of an infection, if you touch that person or if you touched anything that they had touched or sat upon, you became unclean, ceremonially unclean. Now that's a, think about this, this is a pretty high standard. I mean, that, that's something that you could unintentionally do. You could sit in the seat where someone sat who was unclean and you could, you could do that unintentionally. You could do it un, unknowingly. But if it then comes to his attention, what, what the Lord is saying here is that man then is to take a, an offering, a, a trespass offering, a sin offering to the temple, to the, to the tabernacle, to the place where the Lord required for them to, to make their sacrifices. And he was to confess that he was guilty and that he had sinned. You say, wow, that doesn't seem like sin. I mean, that, there's nothing that he did that was wicked. When we think of sin, we think of wickedness, right? We think of uh, those things, uh, lying, stealing. We think of murder, adultery, and, and all those types of things. That's wickedness. And those things are sin. But I want you to notice that the, very, the basic definition of sin is transgression of the law. God gave laws, and when we violate his laws, when his people violated his laws, they had sinned. Why? Because the law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, was given for a very specific reason. According to Galatians chapter, uh, it, well, really the whole book of Galatians talks about the law and the spirit, but it says within there that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. The law simply revealed the righteousness and holiness of God, that he was separate from sinners. He didn't have all the issues and problems that we have as a result of sin. And so he set these laws in place that his people were to abide by, and when they failed to do so, for whatever reason, they had sinned. They had transgressed the law. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read through Leviticus, I become very encouraged that I am not an Old Testament saint. <laughs> I'm thankful that I don't have to live by all of those standards that they live by because the New Testament teaches us that all of those ordinances, the, the touch not, taste not, handle not ordinances of the Old Testament law were done away in Christ, that those ordinances were nailed to his cross, and now we are free from the law. Praise God for that. However, there is a new law by which we are commanded to live today. And so I want you to go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter number 7. I'm kind of laying a foundation here, so I want you to just follow me on this. Romans chapter number 7. 
And you can go ahead and put a marker here because we'll be back here as well as we kind of walk through 1 John. But Romans chapter 7, if I'd quit talking, I could find it myself. Um, But Romans 7, Paul is talking about the relationship of the law to the child of God. And in verse number 1, it says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth, but if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren... Ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So here's what this is saying. The Old Testament law only had effect so long as someone was alive. Once they're dead, they're no longer under the law. That would be impossible. But we in Christ have essentially, spiritually speaking, we've died. The old man has died. We're crucified with Christ. We're raised to new life in him. We've been born again. We are no longer under those ordinances of the works, the letters of the Old Testament law. Now, though, we are called to walk in newness of spirit. We're to be in obedience to the Lord by the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. So that is, I don't sin when I transgress an ordinance, the the letter of the law, but I do sin when I fail to walk in the Spirit. I do sin when I get out of the will of God. We could say it this way, uh, for a New Testament Christian, sin is any deviation from the revealed will of God. God has a will and a purpose for your life, not just in a general sense, but in every moment, in every step you take, every word you say, every thought you think. God has a will for you that is to be directed by the Spirit of God. And when you get outside of His leadership and you walk in your flesh, you have now broken His law and thereby sinned. You have violated His will. That's the definition of sin. But as we go back to... 1 John 3, that's easy enough. We, okay, we're, we're good with that. But where we really run into a dilemma is verses 6 through 9. So that was the definition of sin. This is the dilemma for the saints. Here we go, verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
Verse number 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So according to this, these verses, and specifically verse number 9, by just looking at these verses, the question becomes, is it possible for a child of God to sin? Well, according to these verses, it would seem that the answer is no. But as I mentioned at the outset, ah, that creates a big problem. Because that would have to then mean that nobody has ever been truly saved because the only sinless one is Jesus. There's no such thing as perfect sanctification this side of heaven like some people teach. It's just not possible. We sin. We fail. But what does this mean? Let me give you a technical aspect and then a practical aspect, okay? So the technical aspect, back to Romans 7. In Romans 7, I, I mentioned that Paul is talking about the relationship of a Christian to the, to the law. But I want you to notice as he kind of opens up about his own struggles in life. There is a technical aspect, which is this. If you are saved, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. And because Christ is God, who cannot sin, in that sense, you cannot sin. Look, look at Romans chapter 7, verse number 11. Or verse 14, rather. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, listen to this, this is very important. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So here's what Paul is saying. He's, he's talking about this struggle that he's having with doing that which he knows to be true and that which he desires to do, but still finding himself failing. That's a frustrating place to be, but every child of God can relate to this. I know what God wants me to do. I know what I should do. I know what is right. I know what I want to do, but I continually find myself failing. In, in everyday life, when, when I know that I ought to be humble, I find myself being prideful. When I ought to be kind and loving, I find myself being vengeful and hateful. Uh, when I should be pure, I find my thoughts to be impure. When I should be righteous, I find that the things that I do and the actions of my life are unrighteous and not pleasing to the Lord. And it, it's a struggle, and I hate it. 
But there's something that Paul says in verse 17 and verse 20. This is what he says. Now it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 20. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Here's what he's saying. When I got saved, I changed. The real me, who I am, is not who I used to be. I was born again. I am a new creature. And that new creature is regenerated and saved and whole. And according to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, it is made the righteousness of God in him. That is who I am. That's who I am. I am righteous before God. Positionally, as well as, I mean, in reality, that's who I am. I'm not who I used to be. However, when I got saved, my old sinful flesh didn't get saved. I'm still living in a carnal body that is tainted by sin. And that sin nature that I was born with still exists in me. And so when I find myself doing the things that I would not, that I don't desire to do, the things that I wish I wouldn't do, it's because I'm yielding to this old flesh, this sin nature, but it is no more I. It's not who I really am, though I do have a sin nature... Maybe you've, you've said this before or heard someone else say this before. I've heard people who've fallen into sin or gone through a season in their life where they're away from God, and they'll use language like this. They'll say, that's just, I, I don't even know where that came from. That's not who I am. I mean, it, it was like I was a different person, you know? Well, if you're a child of God, when you sin, it's not you because you are saved. You are righteous. It's that old sinful flesh that we live in. Now let's be careful here. This is not an excuse. This doesn't mean that we're, that we're free from responsibility for our actions. It's not like, oh, well, the devil made me do it. Oh, my old sinful flesh made me do it. No, we, we're commanded to bring the flesh under control. Paul said that I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I am preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I'm not saying that this absolves us of responsibility. I'm just saying that as Christians, we are not sinners anymore. However, we still live in the sinful flesh. And our flesh is as carnal and wicked as it's ever been. It just is. It is. Now, I'm thankful that my sin is no longer imputed to me because of Christ. I no longer bear my sin because Christ bore it for me. I no longer have to face the consequences, the eternal and spiritual consequences for my sin. Christ did that for me. But the reality is that in Christ I am righteous. I am born of God. So that's the technical aspect. His seed, Christ, remains in me and the real me is saved, <laughs> delivered from that. And as long as I am abiding in Him, I will not commit sin. In fact, Galatians 5 tells us this in verse 16. that He said, uh, Therefore walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
So that's the technical aspect. The practical aspect is this. You are now in Christ, and sin is inconsistent and incompatible with Christ's nature and with your new nature. Let me say that again. For the child of God, you are now in Christ, and sin is inconsistent and incompatible with Christ's nature and with your new nature. It doesn't fit. For a, for a Christian to sin is contradictory. We've been delivered from that. Look at verse number 5 of 1 John 3. It says, And ye know that he, Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Sin is incompatible with Christ. And Christians who are in Christ and have Christ in us ought not to sin. Because it's not consistent with God's plan and purpose in our lives. It's not consistent with who we are now. Let me also say this. If you are a child of God, if you have been saved, not only should you not sin, but true Christians don't want to sin. If you are a child of God, the desire ought to be that you, that you would not yield to the old sinful flesh. There we were in Romans 7. I want you to notice the, the wording here. Verse number... Let's, let's look at verse number uh, 15. For that which I do, I allow not. In other words, the things that I find myself doing, I know that they're wrong and I don't want to do them. Verse number 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. But listen to this. For to will is present with me. The desire to do that which is right is in me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. Verse number 22, this is very important. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. What's he saying? The real me, the inward man, the redeemed, saved me, loves to obey God. That's what I delight in. That's where I live. That's where I want to be. But there's a struggle. There's a struggle between my old sinful flesh and the Spirit of God that is within me. I delight in the law of God after the inward man, verse 23, but I find I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Then look at verse 24. This is so important. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You see, the Christian does not just go out, live carnally, live in sin, and delight in wickedness. It's incompatible. The child of God, when he sins, when he fails God, cries out with his heart that says, Lord, I'm, 
I'm wretched, I'm wicked, I don't want to be this way anymore. Deliver me from this. That's what's consistent. Listen, the point of this whole passage of Scripture is to say this. If you can go about and live in unrighteousness and ungodliness and sinfulness, that's just your manner of life. That calls your salvation into serious question. Because saved people have the Spirit of God within them and delight in the law of God after the inward man. They want to do that which is pleasing to the Lord. They don't want to live in sin. It doesn't mean that we never fail God. It doesn't mean that we never get out of His will. It does mean if we're abiding in Him and walking in Him, we won't struggle with the flesh. But the flesh is still there. It's still present. When I would do good, evil is present with me, he said in verse 21. As long as you walk on this earth, you're going to find there are two people living inside of your body. <laughs> it's the new you, who you are in Christ, and it's the old sinful flesh. And whether you walk in accordance with the will of God or whether you walk in carnality and wickedness all depends on who you choose to yield to. But I want you to know this, you cannot, as a child of God, just continually live in this state of wickedness and sin and never find yourself under conviction. I mean, look at what he's saying here. I, there's, there's this struggle, that which I, that which I do, I hate. The, th the things that I would do, I do not. I, I mean, I, I'm struggling with this. This isn't just a guy who's like, eh, it's no big deal. This is someone who's crying out and saying, Lord, deliver me from this sinful flesh that I live in. But then verse number 25, he also answers himself. When he asks you to deliver him, he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So I need to yield to the Spirit of God in me because sin is incompatible and inconsistent with Christ's nature and my new nature. So we saw, back to 1 John 3, we saw the definition of sin, we saw the dilemma for the saints, but then we see a distinction from sinners. Look at verse number 10. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. This is, this is what he's saying. Listen. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. The word manifest it means to be revealed. He says this is, how, this is how we can distinguish between a saved person and a lost person. The lost person goes about living in sin because they know nothing else. The saved person despises sin. And though he still will struggle with his flesh, he seeks to abide in Christ that he may overcome his old sinful nature. And so the, the, the point of this whole passage and the point of the message tonight to say Christians don't sin is not to say that we find ourselves in a state of sinless perfection 
but it is to say that we find ourselves as people who are living a contradiction if we choose to live in sin. We find ourselves as people who are no longer part of this world system and really if Christ is in us and working in us and the Spirit of God is actively working in our lives, we're not going to want to sin anymore. That's the difference. That's the difference, folks. And so the, the real question here, and just for all of us, I know we, we got kind of technical and we got into a lot of details, but, but the real question is this. Is the Spirit of God in you? And are you yielding to the Spirit of God tonight? And if you are not, if you're walking in the flesh and you're finding yourself in sin, I'm just, from, from the Scriptures tonight, something's wrong. Something's wrong. It's not compatible with the Christian life. It's not consistent with the Christian life. So where's your heart? How's, how's your walk? 